You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Good morning. It's great to be with you today. My name is John Aiken. I work for the North American Mission Board, and uh, I was uh, with you a couple months back, and it's great to be able to be with you today. I, I'm so grateful for your pastor, for his friendship. I love him and his family, and uh, definitely praying for them, and I'm thankful to be able to serve him uh, by being able to be with you this morning. If you would, take your Bible and turn with me to the book of Jonah, Jonah chapter 1. Okay, so if you have a phone, you can, you can look it up on there. If you're, you're using the, the pages, if you get to Micah, you've gone too far, okay? And uh, Joel Amos Obadiah leads up to Jonah chapter 1. As we're looking at uh, our core values as a church, and today talking about the fact that we can't stay here, that we've been called to be on mission with King Jesus. And we're going to look at the story of Jonah to help us talk about that core value a couple of uh, uh, months ago, Burger King released a commercial. They didn't release it on television. They, it, was, it was longer than a normal commercial. They released it on, on YouTube, and it kind of went viral. It was a, um, an anti-bullying ad, an anti-bullying campaign. And I don't know if you saw that, but it was a really interesting kind of scenario that they, that they set up. In this Burger King restaurant where actual customers are coming in, and there's these secret cameras that they don't know about, they had these actors who were junior high students who were in the middle of the restaurant there uh, eating their food, and one of the, the junior, uh, junior high boys was being picked on and bullied by the people sitting around him. And so he's sitting there trying to eat his lunch, and they're like pushing him, and they're calling him names, and they, they take his drink, and they pour it out over his tray, or they're taking their fries and kind of sticking their fries in his ear, and he's like, stop it, guys, and they're like, come on, what's the matter? And they're, they're kind of just intimidating him. And the, the camera's picking that up, but also all the people sitting around who are seeing it, hearing it, are aware of what is happening. Uh, and in the back, while all that's going on, in the back, the cook gets a Whopper Jr. kind of off the line there, which is delicious, and he, he puts it in the, the wrapper. And right before he wraps it up and sends it out, he takes his fist and he starts punching the Whopper Jr. And he tears it apart. And then he wraps it up in the wrapper and puts it on the tray and sends it out to somebody to eat. And so these people who are watching this junior high kid being bullied have a Whopper Junior on their tray that was bullied by the cook in the back. And so they, they open it up and they're like, man, what in the world is this? Like they, and you know, obviously most of them get mad. Most of them get upset. They go to the front the counter, like, what is this? This isn't what I paid for. I want, I want a Whopper Junior. And you're like, can I talk to your manager? And the manager comes out and he's like, that clearly looks like a defenseless Whopper Junior that's been bullied. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. And he's like, what? Like, this is crazy. Like, what is going on? And they observed this and they found that 95% of people went to the counter to complain about their broken Whopper Junior, about their bullied Whopper Junior. And only 12% of people actually spoke up for the junior high kid that was being bullied. And so there were a few, about one in 10, there was a few who would walk over to where the boys were sitting and kind of sit next to the guy and like, hey, are you okay? Um, and then the others would come around. They're like, oh, we're just having fun. And they're like, well, it doesn't look like he's having fun. Uh, this isn't something nice. It's some, something you shouldn't be doing. Uh, and so 12% of people came to the aid of the, the boy who was being picked on. And at the end, they're, they're interviewing one of the, the girls, uh, young ladies who spoke up, and she said this, and I, it really struck me. She said, you know, in an ideal world, 
somebody speaks up. In an ideal world, somebody speaks up. Now, the reason why that ad kind of went viral and, and was shared and people, and people uh, liked it was not just because bullying's you know, a, a reality for people, but because the way that construct was set up, we feel the truth of that statement in our bones, right? Like we, we, we recognize, yes, the world would be a better place if somebody would speak up, if somebody would stand up for those who are being hurt, if somebody would speak up for those who are in danger. I don't know about you, but if, if my son or my daughters were in that situation and being picked on, I would, and I wasn't there, I'd want somebody to speak up for them. I, I'm sure you would want somebody to speak up for your children, or if it was you who was being picked on, or you were in danger, and there was somebody who had the means to help you while you're in danger, you would want them to speak up, right? In an ideal world, somebody would say something. We feel that truth in our bones. We know that that is true. And yet, while we know that that is true physically, only 12% of people speak up. And we also, as, as Christians, as those who are followers of Christ, we know that that's also true spiritually, that there are people who are in real spiritual danger, who are headed to an eternal hell, and that we have the means, if we'll just stand up, if we'll just speak up, we have the means to change their eternity. And yet, even though we know that truth and we feel it in our bones, we often stay where we are. We often remain silent. We often keep our mouths shut. One of the most famous stories of a, a person of God, a man of God, who had the opportunity to go and to share the truth of God with people who were in danger and didn't at first is a man named Jonah. And so even if you're kind of your first time ever in church, you don't know much about the Bible, many of you probably still know about the story of the guy who was swallowed by not a whale, a great fish, right? That's the, the story of Jonah. Jonah, who was reluctant to do what God had called him to do. And so I want us to look at this story this morning and to see how it can encourage us and inspire us to join God in his mission to speak up and to stand up for the world. And so if you, if you would, go in your Bible, Jonah chapter 1 and verse 1. We're going to read the whole chapter. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, the words will be up here on the screen. This is the word of the Lord. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went on board to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God, and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had laid down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish." And they said to one another, come, let's cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation? Where do you come from? What is your country? What people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. And they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. 
He said to them, pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you, for I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. And the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. May God bless the reading of his word. Three questions I want to ask us from this story this morning. Number one, will we allow our biases to cause us to stay where we are? Will we allow our biases to cause us to stay where we are. God comes to his prophet Jonah and tells Jonah to go preach against Nineveh. It's going to be a message of judgment, of God holding them accountable. And Nineveh was part of the Assyrian empire that was the number one enemy of Israel. In fact, that was the empire that would take out the northern kingdom of Israel just decades after Jonah's ministry. And so this is public enemy, number one for Israel. Their number one geopolitical threat is the Assyrian Empire. And God comes to Jonah and he says, I want you to go and I want you to preach a message of judgment to your enemies. And these were a brutal, savage people. The history books tell us that the Assyrian Empire, when they would come into a city and they would capture it and they would take it, they would take their prisoners and they would take them out in the desert and they would dig a hole and they would bury the prisoners up to their necks in the sand, pull out their tongue and nail it to the ground. They would build pyramids of skulls outside of cities that they had conquered as a warning to everybody who passed by. If you mess with the Assyrian empire, this is what will happen to you. They were a brutal and savage people. Think, think modern day like ISIS or some of the things that Assad is doing to uh, his own people there in Syria. These were, these were a ruthless people. And so God commands Jonah to go and preach judgment against them. And yet Jonah doesn't want to go. Now, Jonah refuses to go. And he, it's not just that he stays where he is. He tries to go in the opposite direction, right? Away from Nineveh. It's not because he's opposed to preaching hellfire and brimstone. It's not because he's opposed to calling out Israel's enemies. He would have been more happy, more than happy to do that. It's not because he's afraid of what they're going to do to him. It's because he's afraid of what God is going to do for Nineveh. In fact, if you look over in chapter 4 and verse 2, Jonah tells us the exact reason why he does not go. The Bible says, and he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, Is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Don't let anybody ever tell you that the God of the Bible, the God of Christianity, the God of the Old Testament is a angry, angry, violent, ruthless God. He is patient. He is kind. He is merciful. And Jonah knows, if I go and preach, they're going to repent because God is incredibly loving. And I don't want that to happen. You see, Jonah wasn't afraid, again, of what Nineveh was going to do to him. He was afraid that God was going to save his enemy. He was afraid that God was going to save the biggest threat to Israel. And so Jonah doesn't go because he knows how loving our God is. So Jonah, just like his country, Israel, 
was not being a light to the nations. God had, when God had created the nation of Israel, he said, I'm going to bless you. And the reason I'm going to bless you is because I want you to use that blessing and, and bless other people, bless all the nations around you. And yet Israel wanted to keep that blessing to themselves. And Jonah, just like the people that he's representing, he wants to keep that blessing to himself. And the reason why, if we want to boil down, why is it that Jonah refuses to go? It's prejudice. It's prejudice. It's nationalism. He's more concerned about Israel and Israel's blessing than he is other people going to hell. And so that keeps him from sharing the message that God has given him. Now, I don't know about you, it's, it's easy for us to, to read the story of Jonah and to kind of fool ourselves into thinking, well, I'm not like Jonah at all. Like, if I was back there and God told me to do something, I would do it. I would be obedient to God. It's like, we overlook the fact that we're disobedient to him like thousands of times every day. But we think, if I was there, I certainly would have done what he told me to do. But aren't we more like Jonah than we want to admit? Aren't we more than happy to keep the blessings that God has given us to ourselves rather than share them with other people, especially if those people are different from us? Remember a couple of years back during the height of election season and, and Trump coming in as president and all this talk about refugees coming in and so forth, uh, a pastor in a southern state wrote an article, a Baptist pastor wrote an article in a Baptist state paper in which he was livid that there were Baptist leaders who were saying we should welcome refugees into our country and love them. And he said, these Baptist leaders and these other Baptist pastors they need to go read the Old Testament where God said to wipe out the women and children and the, the men of these people who didn't fear God. And he said, you know, I, I know the Bible calls us to love our neighbor, but my neighbor is the people who are around me that I see every day. It was like, yeah, like you completely bypassed the parable of the Good Samaritan. But that, you know, and you're a pastor. You should know that one. Um, but the, the problem is that that's ridiculous for somebody who's been tasked with sharing the good news of the gospel and to make disciples of every nation to hold that kind of view. But my question is, even those of us in this room who may not be dumb enough to say that out loud or dumb enough to write to a Baptist state paper and ask them to publish it, in our hearts do we think the same thing? Well, you know, I'd rather us go to war with them than to go on to mission to them. I'd rather us keep them out then have an opportunity to share the gospel with them. E even in our own uh, region, right? This, this last week, there's all, all of this um, stuff about what happened in Morristown where, where immigrants were taken and detained. 160 kids who lost their parents had no idea why. And they were detained. My question for you is not, again, I, don't wanna, I know there's political realities. I'm not, I'm not trying to get into this debate and what's the right answer and, my question for us as, as people who claim to be the people of God is when you read that news story in the paper or you saw it on the news, was your first thought to process that story as a citizen of the United States of America or as a citizen of the kingdom of heaven? Are, you, are, are we more concerned and more passionate about political realities than we are about spiritual realities? Because if we are, then where is our primary allegiance? Is it to Jesus? Or is it to a country that will not last into eternity? We are called to be, as Christians, American Christians, but as Christians first, we are called to be a light to the nations, both home 
and abroad. And we have an opportunity to do that. And so even if we wouldn't say, yeah, let's go to war with them, even if we wouldn't say, yeah, let's, let's keep them all out, has our own, again, when it comes to the people around us and the opportunity to go to the nations, has our own inactivity, our own silence, and our own passivity made us practically exactly like Jonah? We're not reaching out to the nations. We're not sharing the love of Christ. We're not giving them an opportunity to avoid hell. Remember, um, several years, or a couple years ago, I was at a conference and I was being interviewed for a, uh, by this a religion writer. Uh, I think she was with the Washington Post or something. And she, so at this conference, she was kind of getting my reaction to the conference. And so I'm sitting down with her. And after the interview was over, I, I started to kind of ask her questions about herself, uh, trying to share the gospel with her. And, and so she was, she was from Iran, and her family had come to America uh, in the late 70s when all that kind of controversy was going on. And um, obviously, was, you know, nobody was nice to her. They, everybody didn't want them there, that kind of thing. And I, I said, well, do you have a faith? Are you a Muslim? Or what, what, you know, what are you? And she said, I'm a Jehovah's Witness. And I said, well, why are you a Jehovah's Witness? And she said, well, when we moved to this city in the Northeast, when we came from Iran and we came to the city in the Northeast, all the people around us, they never talked to us. They never came to our door. They never invited us to their house for a cookout. They, 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 we had no relationship with our neighbors. N- none of them were nice to us. And one day we got a knock on the door and there were Jehovah's Witnesses on our front porch. And they came in and they were kind to us. And they prayed with us, and so we became Jehovah's Witnesses. What an indictment that is on us, and the opportunity that we have with the nations that have come to us to to be kind and gracious. Because you know what, if we would, if we would just be kind, and we would just reach out, and we'd be more concerned about spiritual realities than we are about political, do you know what could happen? There's a friend of mine who pastors outside of Dallas, his name's Afshin, Afshin also came over from Iran during that same time. His dad was a doctor. Afshin was a Muslim and was being trained to, to be a doctor like his dad. And when he, came, when he came to this country, he didn't know English. And so they had a woman that would come to the house as a tutor to teach, teach them English. And she was a Christian. And as Afshin tells the story of how he became a believer in Jesus Christ and ultimately became a pastor, this is what he said. And I'll never forget this statement. He said, that woman who came to our house and was teaching me English she did the Christian thing. And I said, what, what's the Christian thing? What does that, what does that mean? He said, she was, was, other people were throwing rocks through our windows telling us to get out. She came into our house. She taught me English. She taught me the gospel. And I became a believer in Jesus Christ. And now he's a pastor of a church that runs thousands of people and is making a, an internal difference. And all because one lady did the Christian thing. What would happen if thousands of us did the Christian thing with the people who are around us, with the, the, the nations who've come to us and go to, go to their, their shops, their restaurants to eat and befriend them and pray for them and love them. At your school, your children's school, they are surrounded by people from uh, other nations. I know my, my daughter, one of her closest friends in, in her class is somebody, a family that fled from Iraq because of Saddam Hussein. And, and so he's in her class and she's his friend. And so we have an opportunity to befriend people in our schools, at our business, at the businesses around us, in our neighborhood. Are we going to do the Christian thing and to serve those who are hurting? We have an opportunity as a church to do that with Let's Go Week, to serve the underserved and to resource the under-resourced. And so 
sign up and be a part of that opportunity. You have partnerships uh, internationally in London and South Asia. So get a passport and get ready to go on a short-term trip so that you can both here and abroad share the love of God and not let the fact that there are people who look different than us or a different class than us or or maybe uh, don't think exactly like we think, don't let that keep us, cause us to keep the love of God to ourselves, but let's share it aggressively. Revelation chapter 7 tells us that in the end, around the throne in heaven, there will be a multitude that cannot be counted from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. That will happen. The question that we are asked is, are we going to join God in seeing that accomplished? I don't know about you. I want in. I want in on it. And so let's not let our biases cause us to stay where we are. Number two, will our experience of God's mercy cause us to share it with others? Will our experience of God's mercy cause us to share it with others? Now, Jonah, he runs away, right? He's on the boat. God judges him with a storm. God judges his rebellion by sending a storm. And I think, again, um, because for for many of us who were raised in church, and you you remember, you know, going to Sunday school class as a kid or uh, reading a children's Bible that had, had like nice cartoon pictures in it, we don't really get what's going on here um, with this storm and then Jonah being swallowed by uh, a great fish. Like we, I think for many of us, when we think of Jonah and the fish, if you're my age or older, maybe the, the image that comes to your mind is, is Pinocchio, right? Geppetto is in the whale on a piece of driftwood with a kerosene lamp. It has this like nice little reading nook inside the whale. And it's just, you know, he'd, he'd rather be out, but it's a pretty pleasant time inside the whale. That's not what's happening at all, Right? When Jonah goes into the belly of the great fish, he's got like gastric acid washing over him. He's being burned. When he came out, when he's vomited out on the dry land three days later, he probably has no hair from head to toe. No hair, no eyebrows. Skin is bleached. Looks like a third degree burn victim. Uh, He's bearing on his body the marks of his rebellion against God and God's judgment of him. Even the storm, these, these mariners, these sailors, who were men who had been on the seas and were professionals are scared to death of what is going to happen. So what would that be like to be in a storm and to, to be afraid that you were going uh, to die? I mean, imagine what that would be like. I, uh, my wife and I had that uh, experience uh, a couple of years ago. In fact, it was now uh, several years ago on our honeymoon. Um, on our honeymoon, we went to a, uh, to a tropical island like in the Caribbean. And so we land in this, this like third world city, capital city, and we have to get a plane that goes 20 minutes out to the island, okay? And the plane, I can only describe the plane as like a, a 15 passenger church van with a propeller on the front of it. Like that's what we were on. And in fact, my wife had to sit up front with the pilot to balance out the plane. And I don't know about you, but anytime I hear like balance out the plane, I'm like, why are we getting on a plane that's not balanced? Like this is not, it's not a good idea. Um, and so this like this Hispanic gentleman who's, who looks like he's like 85 pounds gets into the cockpit and getting ready to fly that plane and we take off and about 10 minutes in I see just the darkest storm cloud I've ever seen in my life right out on the horizon and rain just starts pelting the windshield and lightnings everywhere and that little pilot looks like a kid fighting with a video game controller and he's just and we're fishtailing and we're, we're doing this and I'm, I'm like, grab my seat and start praying, you know, like, God, how can this happen on my honeymoon? 
Like, if, you, if, if you'll let this happen when we're coming back five days from now, I'd be okay with that. But, but not now on the, way, on the way to the beach. Please, uh, you know, I'm, I'm bargaining with God. And I was pretty certain we were going to crash. Like, I was about 95% certain we were going to crash. I, I was only about 50% like we're either going to get hurt or something worse. Okay, and so uh, scared to death. And at the last second, he just throws that thing down. We bounce safe. Everybody cheers. He looks over at my wife. He's like, you okay? And I was like, yeah, until five days from now when we got to do this again. Um, but that's what it was like. They're scared to death. They don't know what to do. They're bargaining with God. They're praying to God. They, they're throwing things overboard. And so finally they find out Jonah's the guy. He's the reason why this is happening. He's thrown in, again, under the judgment of God. And then the fish comes and and swallows him up. And the fish is God's judgment, but the fish also is God's mercy. Because he doesn't allow Jonah to drown in the sea, he rescues him. The, the fish is like an ark, like Noah's ark, that brings him safely through the storm, and then spits him out onto the dry ground three days later. And he walks away from death, bearing those scars of his judgment, but he walks away from death to carry out his mission. And so God wants Jonah now to, God has shown Jonah mercy, and so now God wants Jonah to extend that mercy to the people of Nineveh. And I don't know if, you, if you've studied this or you see throughout the Bible this theme that water is often a symbol of judgment and salvation in the Bible. It's often a symbol of judgment and salvation in the Bible. You think about uh, Noah's flood, right? God wants to judge the world, destroy the world. How does he do it? I'm going to send flood waters. And with the ark, I'm going to save Noah and his family through the water. Or you think about the Red Sea, right? I want to save my people from slavery in Egypt, so I'm going to part the waters of the Red Sea. The Israelites pass through on dry ground. Pharaoh's army pursues them. And what does God do? Water comes down on top of them, destroys Pharaoh's army. See the same thing with Jonah. God's judgment, then the fish carries him safely through to the other side. And this is why when Jesus comes on the scene and begins his ministry and people are saying to him, well, prove to us that you're the Messiah. And he says, listen, I'm not going to jump through your hoops and do what you're asking me to do, but I will give you a sign. I will give you proof that I'm the Messiah. And it's going to be the sign of Jonah. He says, just like Jonah was in the belly of the fish for three days and three nights, I'm going to be in the heart of the earth for three days and then I'm going to rise from the dead. That's all you need to know to know that I am the Messiah. That's why on the way, as he's marching towards Jerusalem and he's talking with his disciples about the cross, what does he call the cross? He says, I have a baptism that I must undergo. He describes his cross as being drowned in the judgment of God, as a baptism. And we see these parallels between Jonah and Jesus, right? Both of them asleep in the boat during the storm. Yet one of them has the, the authority to stand up and to speak to the storm, and it calms down. Both of them put in Jonah in the belly of the fish three days, Jesus in the tomb three days, and then Jesus walks away from the grave, bearing the scars of the judgment of God. As he dies on the cross, nails in his hands, nails in his feet, spear in his side, crown on his head, uh, crown of thorns on his head, bearing the judgment of God so that we could be forgiven, so that we could receive eternal life. And then Jesus walks away from death, bearing those scars to carry out the mission that God has given to him through his church. And this is exactly what we're saying in baptism. When we baptize somebody, we as a church are announcing with the authority of Christ 
that this person, because of their faith in Jesus, has been united to Christ. And therefore, what is true of Christ is true of them. When I was baptized as a little boy, what the Aldelia Road Baptist Church was saying about me is, John Aiken is a sinner. John Aiken deserves to be drowned under the wrath of God for his sin. John Aiken deserves to be buried in the grave. But John Aiken has already died for his sins 2,000 years ago. John Aiken has already been buried in the grave. And John Aiken has already walked away from death as a new man because he is in Christ. And you walk away from that death and you walk away as a new man with a mission to extend the mercy that you have been shown to others. That's exactly what Jonah does here. He walks into Nineveh and he finally preaches. Jonah chapter 3 verses 4 and 5 tell us this. Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey and he called out, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and they put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. We see the mercy has finally been extended to them and they repent and they believe. And so the question that we are faced with is will we selfishly deny to others what God has graciously given to us? Or will we extend it to others? We have an opportunity to do that, to be the ambassadors for Christ uh, in our neighborhood and in our workplace, in our school. One of the ways just, just practically that I think about doing this, and I, I encourage you to do the same thing. I was, I was taught this years ago is to, uh, to draw a diagram of the, of the neighborhood that you live in, okay, or the apartment complex. And you can do this at your office too. You can do that with the people who work around you, or you can do it at school with the people who sit around you at your desk. But to draw a diagram of your neighborhood, and now I, what I've done is uh, Google Earth, I uh, got a Google Earth picture of my neighborhood. And then as you, as you meet people in your neighborhood, as you get to know your neighbors, uh, just write down their names or I, I take a text box and put it over their house on that picture. And so the, the Andersons, they live three doors down. And so I put their names, you know, John and Becky Anderson and put their name on there. And then who lives two doors down this way? It's, well, that's the Smith family. And I write down their names. And so as I've, as I've gotten to meet people in my neighborhood, I put their names on that, on that picture and then every day as I'm reading my Bible and praying, I'll, I'll open that up and I'll pray for just one. I'll pick one family uh, and I'll pray for them. Lord, be with them. Uh, Father, if they don't know you, please help them to come to know Jesus as Savior. Give me opportunities to be kind to them. Give me opportunities to share with them uh, about Jesus. And, and we, that's one way that you can be a witness for Christ. That's one way that you can stop sitting where you are and, and get out on mission is just diagram of the, your coworkers, diagram of your neighbors, diagram of your classmates. And every day pray, Lord, give me an opportunity to share what Jesus has done for me. Give me an opportunity to, to give, if they don't have a Bible, give them a Bible, let them read a Bible. Uh, kind of sh- share a video with them or one of Pastor Trent's sermons that, that may be encouraging to them. Let me have an opportunity to be a witness to them. Give me opportunity to invite them to come to church where they, I know they're going to hear the gospel. Okay? So every day, be praying for the people around you and for opportunities that God may give you to be a witness to them so that they can experience the same mercy that you have experienced. Number three, finally, will we share God's heart for the lost? Will we share God's heart for the lost? And I want you to go to the final chapter of the book. Go to chapter four, because oftentimes I think, and even in our children's Bibles, you'll see this, that 
the revival at Nineveh was like the end, right? So Jonah, yeah, he was reluctant at first, but finally he went and preached, and everybody got saved, and it was awesome. And Jonah, you know, went on the, the circuit at all the pastor's conferences telling the secret of his success so that they could duplicate his success, you know. But that's not what happened, right? Jonah's not happy. Look, look here in, in chapter 4. We'll read the, the concluding chapter. Chapter 4, verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is not this what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he could see what would become of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah so that it might shade, uh, be a shade over his head. Remember, he's probably bald at this point. Uh, to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. First time he's happy in the entire book, right? But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pitied the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. Should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? So Jonah's mad about what God has done, and he goes outside the city and kind of folds his arms and is like, well, maybe he will relent and he'll ultimately kill them all. Uh, that's what he's hoping for. And he has these, these, this dialogue with God to end the book. And I don't know about you, but I mean, this book, one of the, the great things about this book, we get lo- gets lost in the fish and Jonah and all this stuff is just how incredibly gracious God is. I mean, this, these, these pagan people who who nail people's tongues to the ground. God, he loves them. He gives them a second chance, third chance, fourth chance. He's merciful to them. But not just the pagans who are ruthless. You've got Jonah, this like religious, self-righteous jerk. And what does God do? He's outside the city having a temper tantrum and God causes a plant to grow up over him and to shade him from the sun. Like, I don't know about you, but that's not how we handle tantrums in my house. It's like, yeah, let's see how we can make you less uncomfortable, right? Like, we can, let's, let's cater to you. And like, aren't you glad that God is so much more gracious than we are? And that even if you're like a, a religious jerk who annoys everybody else around you, at least God loves you, okay? And so he is incredibly, incredibly gracious here. And yet he does this. He, he gives him the plant. And he takes the plant away to make a point to, jo- to Jonah. He wants Jonah to get the point, and then he wants us to get the point. Jonah, you're more concerned about a plant than you are about people. And you're more concerned about your physical blessing being taken away than you are about the spiritual condition of these people who don't know their right hand from their left. Like, I don't know about you, but is that true of us? Like, we're much more concerned when our material comfort is affected than we are with the the people, the lost people around us who are dying and going to hell. 
In that Burger King commercial, again, 95% of people complained when they were affected. 12% of people said something about another person who was being affected. So are we so inwardly focused that we're not able to get out of our comfort zone and to do what God has called us to do? And so he has this dialogue that's an indictment on Jonah. And then I, I think there's, if you know your Bible, there's, there's a subtle indictment of Israel because God brings up the plant. Again, Jonah didn't create it, and then he destroys it. And what is Israel? Israel is called a plant throughout the Old Testament. It's called a, a vine, okay? And so the indictment is of Jonah, and the indictment is of Israel. You're not being a light to the nations. You're, you're, you say that I'm your God, but you don't reflect my heart for lost people. And so why don't you get on board with what I'm doing And I think this is an indictment of us too. Do we care more about keeping our physical and spiritual blessing to ourselves than we do sharing it with other people who don't have it? Do we? How do we view lost people around us? Do we view them as enemies or do we view them as spiritually blind sheep without a shepherd who just need Jesus in their life? He has this dialogue with with Jonah, right? And he's driving to the end of the book. And he says, Jonah, like you didn't make the plant and you didn't water it, but I made these people. I created them. Isn't it right for me to show mercy to them? Isn't it right for me to love them? And then there's no answer given. That's the end of the book. We have no idea if Jonah said, Lord, you're right, I'm I'm sorry. We have no idea. And the the book is left open-ended so that you and I, as those who are reading it today through the the inspiration of the Spirit, so that we will have an opportunity to say, okay, are we going to act like Jonah or are we going to join God in his mission to share his love with the world? Will we join the cause of Christ? And you say, well, John, I I just, I'd love to, but I just don't think I can. I just don't think I have those kind of gifts. I, I just, yes, you can. There are, there are so many different ways that you can get involved and you can be a part of the cause of Christ to change the world. Some of those are, are, are ways that are, may seem small, but have tremendous impact. Like one of the ways is you can, you can volunteer to serve in children's ministry or youth ministry. You have no idea what kind of impact that could have on somebody's life. My dad is in ministry. He's been in ministry for uh, 40 years now. And one of the ways that my dad came to faith in Christ was when his mom would go to choir practice. She would drop him off in the, in the little room for childcare, and there was a there was an older lady in that room named Mrs. Calhoun, who would who would take my dad, put him on her lap in a rocking chair, and just open the Bible, and just read stories from the Bible to him. And that was how he came to faith in Jesus Christ. And now he's in ministry, and he's trained thousands of ministers. All because one lady said, you know what? I can love on little children and I can share the Bible with them. And so if you do that, who knows what kind of impact you could have. Another way is to invite people you know, friends, family members, people you go to school with, people you work with, neighbors, invite them to come. How many of the, the, so many people baptized a couple weeks ago on Easter, how many of them were baptized, came to faith in Christ, were saved because one of you actually invited them, said, hey, come with me to church. Come with me to Foothills. If you do that, you know, like the great thing about Foothills is you know 
that Pastor Trent's going to preach the gospel. You know that everything's going to be done well. You know that you're not going to be embarrassed by anything that's done or said. Like, you're not going to have that awkward drive, at the, you know, or that conversation at the restaurant afterwards. You're like, man, I'm sorry. He never makes those kind of jokes. He never says things like that. I'm really sorry. Man, it's usually not like that. You know that they're going to find a place where they belong and a place where they're welcomed. And so invite and bring somebody with you next week. And the other thing is, get, get ready and go on a trip. Go, go overseas and, and see how God can use you to reach the unreached around the world. You say, I, I can't do it yet. Listen, the second mission trip I ever went on, I was 20, I was 20 years old and went to the Philippines. And I, I, I hardly knew anything. I was, I was just starting out, like trying to learn about ministry. And uh, second time I'd ever been out of the country before. And one of the things that we would do at night is we would drive several hours out into these villages and in the villages every village had a basketball court in the middle of the village which is like I think that's awesome like basketball court in the middle of the village like concrete slab with with goals on the end of it and we would drive to the basketball court and we would set up a white sheet um, kind of on some trees and put a projector up and show a movie and so people would come out we would go invite everybody come out so people Every generation, grandparents, parents, children would come out, they'd sit around, they'd watch this movie, and at the end, we'd stop it, and, and one of us would get up and preach the gospel. And so this one night, we're out in this town, it's like, it's like midnight. I've been up since 4.30 in the morning. I'm dead tired. I, I, this is the first time in my life that I can remember preaching to a multi-generational audience. Like, it wasn't just college students, okay? It was like multi-generational audience, and I, I had no idea what I'm doing. And you gotta, I just share the gospel, the simple gospel. Jesus died for you. If you believe in him, you'll be forgiven. You'll have eternal life. And then I give the invitation. And I'm like, a hundred people come forward. And like three generations, grandparents, people in their 80s, people in their 50s, their 20s, teenagers are coming forward. And, I, and, and there's Filipinos there who are counseling with them. And they're praying to receive Christ as Savior. And I step back. And I'm just like, I don't know how this is happening, God, but I'm just so thankful that you're letting me be involved in it. And if you, if you will, I'd love to be involved in this for the rest of my life. And so if you will just be faithful, just say, God, I'm not going to stay where I am. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go where you want me to go. You'll be amazed at what you see God do and the way that you see him change the world. Let me ask you to bow your heads and close your eyes. Let me pray for you. Father, I pray in the name of Jesus for everybody here. First of all, Father, I pray if there's anybody here who doesn't know Christ as their Savior, who's, they've never experienced your love, your mercy in Christ, if they've never been made new and they need a new start today, Father, I pray for them. There are folks available at the care and prayer room who would love to talk to you and answer your questions and, and let you know how you can experience this life-changing love of Jesus. And so, Father, I pray for them. Anybody here who who needs the love of Christ, I pray that they would talk to somebody before they leave. Father, I pray for those who, who are followers of Jesus, that you would help each of us to get involved, serving, inviting, sharing, just being a part of opportunities like Let's Go Week and short-term mission trips. And Father, that we would be faithful and that we would be able to look back years from now, decades from now, and say, God, you are incredible because of what you have done. And I'm so thankful that you let me be involved with you. Father, help us to do that for your glory. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. 
Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.